Growing in God's Word and learning how to take up our cross and follow Jesus. This is Crosswalk with Pastor Clay Stevens from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh. Contentment isn't a what, where, or when. Contentment is a who. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. Other than John 3.16, that verse found in Philippians 4.13 may be one of the most often quoted in all of the Bible. But what exactly does it mean? Can a person recite that verse and then accomplish anything they want? If I want lasting contentment in my life, I have to go to an infinite source. And you already know this, but that narrows my options to just one, Jesus Christ. I'm Rick Freeman. Welcome to Crosswalk. Well, we come to the last message in our four-month series in the book of Philippians entitled Heartbeat. We certainly pray that this series has been both uplifting and motivational to you in your walk with Jesus. Today, Pastor Clay is going to walk us through the last part of chapter 4, where the Apostle Paul makes what seems to many to be an absolutely astounding statement. Paul claims to have found the secret to being content. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. As we'll hear Pastor Clay say today, we've all experienced contentment in some area of our life before. But as we'll see today, God promises us a contentment that is far better than what most people have experienced in their lives. I'll be back after the message, but now here's Pastor Clay with today's very important message on the secret to contentment. We're coming today to the last in this series entitled Heartbeat. Thanks for being with us uh, in the process. Some of you uh, perhaps have been able to be here every week. Some of you have been here uh, through most of it. Some of you perhaps have joined us in the middle of it um, and thought, wow, how long do these people do series around here? (laughs) But uh, it's only about four months that we're in the book of Philippians, and so um, that's, that's not, not that bad, I hope. I've really enjoyed the book. It's been one of my favorite series to do, and I don't, really, I'm not sure why. I've been thinking about why I've enjoyed it so much, but I, I just really have enjoyed uh, this series, enjoy that book, that study in Philippians. And, um, and some of you uh, have been very encouraging to me through the weeks with notes and, and words and things like that. And this past week, I got uh, several of you contacted me and just said how much the message last week meant to you and the study on peace and how peace comes into our lives and, and how we actually can practice this and live in the reality of uh, peace that, that's, as we said last week, passes the comprehension of what the world can give, but instead is, is based on God's peace that he brings to us. Uh, my prayer for you is that you continue to practice that peace in your life, that, that there's some intentionality as we talked about last week, and that's how it begins to happen uh, as we are intentional about those acts, whether it's ha- peace in our life or whether it's spiritual disciplines or whatever the case may be. Today, we come to a subject matter as we're closing this out where uh, there is obviously a correlation uh, with, with God's peace to the subject matter that we'll be discussing a little bit this morning and then moving into, as I said last week, uh, kind of introducing the next series that we're going to do. And we'll talk more about that in a few moments. But uh, if you brought a copy of God's Word with you today, I want to encourage you to open it uh, to the book of Philippians again, this time to chapter 4. 
and we're going to be beginning in verse uh, 10. I'm going to break the text apart this week and just read uh, 10 through 13 here initially, and then we'll read 14 through uh, 23 through the end of the chapter uh, in a few more minutes. Philippians chapter 4, beginning in verse uh, 10 this morning. Paul says, but I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstance I am. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Three or four short verses there, but they are powerful verses. I want to sum up the, the, the text and this closing bit today. I want to sum up the, what I call the big picture biblical principle, the BP squared, Uh, this morning looks like this. If you like to take notes and want to fill in, it looks like this. Contentment isn't a what, where, or when. Contentment is a who. Now, we could have used a definite article, of course, and said contentment is the who, but y'all would have thought we were talking about Whoville or something. Contentment isn't a what, where, or when. Contentment is a who. I think it's only appropriate that the Apostle Paul kind of uh, moves into this last section by again uh, mentioning this idea of rejoicing uh, or joy and by again saying, but I rejoiced in the Lord greatly. By my count, this is the 16th time in this little letter that the Apostle Paul has used or, or referred to joy or rejoicing, 16 times. And as I have said a couple of different times uh, in this uh, series, joy is a, a major uh, part, it's a major theme in the book of Philippians. But if you've been with us through this study, I hope that you have seen that joy is not the major theme of the book of Philippians, but it is instead the source of joy, the source of rejoicing. And that is, of course, Christ, Jesus Christ. Paul has been saying from the very beginning, Christ is my life. If we went all the way back to chapter 1 and verse 21, you remember these words where the Apostle Paul says, for to me, would you say that, could we just say that verse together out loud? I mean, say it out loud. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. That, that's, that's it. That, that's Paul's life. He says, this is, this is it. I, 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 I want my life to be all about Jesus Christ. He is my consuming passion. He is the drive of my life. I eat, sleep, and breathe Jesus Christ. By the way, we just stop and just ask that question introspectively of ourselves this morning. I'm not, I'm not asking of you, I'm asking to ask it of myself and for you to do the same, to ask it of yourself, to stop and say, is Jesus Christ the driving passion of my life? Is Jesus Christ 
my heartbeat? Do I eat, sleep, and breathe Jesus Christ? And if not, why not? What, what's, what's off in my life or what's missing in my life? Or, or is that even something I want in my life? Do I eat, sleep, and breathe Jesus Christ? By the way, um, people that eat, sleep, and breathe Jesus Christ, I'm just using that phrase. It, to eat, sleep, and Jesus Christ, eat, sleep, and breathe Jesus Christ doesn't mean that um, that, you know, we go around in, you know, in these long flowing brown robes with this, you know, kind of sad look on our face and lock ourselves away in some monastery and, and eat bread and water and, and sing some sort of ancient, uh, song or some sort of ancient hymn, uh, as if that some, makes us some spiritual thing or something. Fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ shop at Walmart. They take their wives out to dinner they go to ball games. They plan trips to Great Wolf Lodge. I want to go to that place. I can't wait till my grandkids get old and I'll go to that place. Uh, they, they, they do the stuff of life. Followers of Jesus do, do the, the stuff of life just like everybody else does. But we do it. To eat, sleep, and breathe Jesus Christ means that we do life with an intentionality. Listen to me, with an intentionality. That both our actions and our attitudes will honor and reflect Jesus Christ. That's, that's all it means to say that I eat, sleep, and breathe Jesus Christ. It simply means that, no, I'm not some monk or anything, like that, but I'm involved in my life and my world and all that stuff. But, but whatever I do, both my actions and my attitudes, they're done with a purpose, with an intentionality of honoring Jesus Christ with my life, of drawing near to him with my life. And of being used by him for the building of his kingdom and his kingdom purposes. That's all it means. So, Paul uh, closes out this letter by basically thanking the Philippians for contributing to his ministry. But having a, a, a teacher's heart, a pastor's heart, the Apostle Paul just can't help himself. He has to get some teaching in there, even as he's thanking them for what he's done. And the teaching, while not extensive, is very significant because it gets to the, it gets to the core desire, listen to me, it gets to the core desire of all of life, of everybody's life contentment. He doesn't spend a lot of time on it, but what he spends on it is very important because this, ladies and gentlemen, this is it. This is what everybody, I'm convinced, on the face of the earth is looking for. Contentment in life. According to uh, Wikipedia, contentment is defined this way. Contentment is acknowledgement and satisfaction of reaching capacity. I like that definition, quite honestly. I, I, I just, I, I like that definition. To reach capacity. Now, all of us know contentment to some degree or at some level in our lives, right? Um, after a big meal, for instance, Thanksgiving meal or, or Christmas dinner, right? Don't, don't sit there and act like I'm the only one that overeats at those meals, okay? Right? We eat and we eat and we eat and the food is so delicious and it's so good and, and everything tastes so good and we just, you know, we're trying to figure out how we're going to save room for pumpkin pie or, you know, and we just, and, 
and, but we reach this level where we are just so full that we can't eat anymore. We reach capacity. And, and there is a sense of contentment. I don't want anymore. I couldn't eat anymore. I don't even want anymore. I've reached capacity. Uh, getting a new car, whether it's brand new or just new to us, brings with it kind of a sense of contentment to it. You know, when we get that, that new vehicle, and, and there's, there's lots of other things that we could think of. The problem is, we're going to get hungry again. And the new car is going to lose the new car smell. And everything else. Because everything in this world, ladies and gentlemen, everything in this world is temporary. Everybody hear that? Everything in this world, worldly speaking, is temporary. It's passing away. It's going away. It's not going to last. And yet, it is the, the place, and it's because nobody, they don't know any better, but it is the place where the vast majority of the world's population looks for that word, contentment, that's where they look for it, is in what they can do, or where they can go, or what they can have, or, or, or what they can experience, or, or what can change in their life, or what new can come into their life, all of this stuff. The problem is, as I said, it's temporary. It won't last. It's not going to stay here very long. And if a person wants genuine, lasting, authentic contentment in their life, they have to go to an infinite source. All of this other stuff is finite, right? And so if they want lasting contentment, if I want lasting contentment in my life, I have to go to an infinite source. And you already know this, but that narrows my options to just one, Jesus Christ. If I want infinite, lasting, full, authentic, real, genuine contentment in my life, there's only one place I can go. And that's into a relationship with Jesus Christ. So Paul, that's why Paul throughout this letter is urging us, make Christ your passion. Make Christ your heartbeat. And Paul is not shy about saying to the Philippians and to us, if you're smart, you'll do the same thing that I did. You'll make him your heartbeat. He's my heartbeat. If you're smart, you'll make him your heartbeat. Paul's not a bit shy about doing that. Now, I know none of us would want to say, yep, that's that's it. This is my heartbeat. This is my passion. This is what I want out of life. None of us would want to say, well, you know, I'm as... I'm as committed a Christian, I'm as committed a fully devoted follower of Jesus as the Apostle Paul was, right? That, that, that sounds as prideful as Kim Kardashian on the red carpet or something, you know? It, it, it's, oh, I could never, oh, I, I could never say that I was as spiritual or I was as mature or I was as passionate about Christ as the Apostle Paul was. And yet, at least twice in this letter, Paul is the one encouraging us to do just that. Follow my example, Do it like I'm doing it. Because, Paul says, there's a bonus that goes with it. He says in verse 12, look at verse 12 again this time. um, I know how to live in poverty or prosperity. Now, let's let this sit in a minute, okay? I know how to live in poverty or prosperity. No matter what the situation. Uh, Did anybody, can I just, did anybody have a situation this week? All right, anybody have a situation this week? Probably, right? No matter what the situation, I've learned the secret 
of how to live when I'm full or when I'm hungry, when I have too much or when I have too little. What an amazing statement. I'm telling you, if you could bottle what the Apostle Paul is selling, you would be a very rich man or woman. Because, as I said a moment ago, I think that everybody wants this out of life. I think everybody wants to have actual, genuine, authentic, real contentment in their life. So Paul says, Here's, I, whether I'm full, whether I'm hungry, whether I have too much, or, or when I have too little, I, I, I've, I've found this, the secret to this whole thing. I, I, I understand now how it works. Let me give you a word of warning right here. Let me jump in and just give you this word of warning. When we're talking about contentment and what it means for our lives, don't confuse contentment with complacency. Can I just say that to y'all? Just stop kind of right here and say that. Don't confuse contentment with complacency. Contentment brings a sense of satisfaction, right? Complacency brings a sense of settling. Just kind of settle in. I was just kind of, as I was thinking about this and, and contentment and complacency, I, I was just thinking about, reflecting back on kind of the last four or five years here at Cross Culture and, and all this kind of thing. And I was thinking how uh, easily complacency can get into our life, can, can get into my life. And, and I was thinking about back to the time and really almost five years ago when God was really just mm, gnawing on me about this new idea uh, they was laying on my heart about this new church and this, this, this cross-culture church. And I'm just, I'm just going to be, you know, just, it's just me and y'all. So let me just say this. Um, it it would have been, quite honestly, it, it would have been easy to be complacent where I was five years ago. Uh, pastored a church that was a good bit larger than what cross-culture is right now. Made pretty significantly more money than I make at Cross Culture Church. They would put money in retirement, had a nice everything. It's easy. It's easy just to kind of say, well, you know, okay, I can just, I can just serve you right here. This will be good. But I can genuinely say to you from the bottom of my heart, I have so much contentment over Cross Culture Church and what we do here. I, when I, I, I mean, I can, I can look out now, but I was thinking this week some, of some of the lives that have been impacted and have been changed as a result of the ministry of Cross-Culture Church. Now, not just me. I'm talking about everybody that's a part of Cross-Culture Church. To, to, I can look around and I can see some of the lives that have been impacted and touched and, and, and the way that Cross-Culture has met some needs and, and that sort of thing. And it, it just brings a sense of contentment to my life. But listen to me. I'm not satisfied with that. I'm not satisfied. No, no, no sir. No, ma'am. No way. I want more people sitting under the word of God. I want more people worshiping the God who is worthy of all praise and adoration. I want more people serving alongside of all of you. So it's one thing to be content. It's another thing to be complacent. And you need to make sure that, you, that, that you're keeping those two separate. When Paul says, I've learned the secret to being content, Paul by no means had become complacent at what he was doing. Okay, so you ready? You ready for the secret? It's really not a very well-kept secret, is it? <laughs> Paul's basically been saying it since, since he opened this letter at the, at the very beginning. He's been talking about what this, this secret is to, uh, to life. 
Philippians chapter 4 and verse 13, I can do all things through him or some translate through Christ, obviously who it is, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Paul's been saying this from the very beginning. But now as he closes out the letter, he ties it to this idea of contentment and how you can have it in your life. I've learned the secret to being content in every, any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether well-supplied or, or not supplied at all. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now, <laughs> this verse, this verse has been used for everything from athletic competitions to job interviews to American Idol auditions And anything else you can think of. But it's pretty clear from the context that what Paul is saying is that with Christ in my life, I can do it. Listen, whether I win the athletic competition or not, whether I get the job or not, whether I get to go to Hollywood or not, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. This verse, ladies and gentlemen, is not an incantation that you can speak over some area in your life and and it'll be done. No, it's an invitation to experience true, genuine, authentic, real contentment in your life, no matter what your circumstances are. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. By the way, the verbs in this, in this uh, verse are interesting. Uh, the first verb, uh, can do, basically, uh, in the original language, would literally translate, I am strong for. It's a present continuous tense verb. Watch this. It's a present continuous tense verb. In other words, Paul's saying it's happening now and it's, and it's continuing to happen. It's going to continue to happen. I am strong for. The second uh, verb, strengthens. I can do all things through him who strengthens. Second verb, strengthens. Uh, it comes from root word, means empowering. So basically, Paul says, I am, present tense, and continue to be, future tense, strong because of the power of Christ in my life. That as I'm connected to Christ, as I'm making him my heartbeat, I'm experiencing his power in my life. And and listen, I don't know, when, when Paul first became a follower of Jesus on the road to Damascus and God met him there and he was just radically uh, saved and transformed. I don't know if Paul knew the whole deal or understood everything or whatever, but somewhere along the way, he's figured it out that by completely and totally and utterly surrendering his life to Jesus Christ and making Christ the heartbeat of his life, he discovered that along the way, he had absolute contentment in his life, no matter what his circumstances were. No matter what his circumstances were. So that he wasn't on this this Christian roller coaster. And I see this a lot, y'all. This Christian roller coaster, I'm up, I'm down, I'm up, I'm down, I'm up, I'm down. All of it tied to my circumstances. And Paul says, no, that's, that's bunk. I've learned the secret to being content. It's Christ. So he makes no apologies. I make no apologies for saying to you, ladies and gentlemen, make him your heartbeat. Make him every ounce of your life. Yes, you still have life. Yes, you still function and, and you pay bills and you go to work and you, and you go to ball games and you, and you have your struggles and you have all that stuff, but you do it within the context of being a follower of Jesus, desiring to draw closer to him, honor him, serve him in all of that. 
So there's the key. There's the secret. Not much of a secret. Been saying it from the beginning. Make Christ your heartbeat. And then, and I'm going to pick it up and read it now. He goes into the rest of the finishing this letter. And he goes back again to thanking them for what they have done for him. But he has a little more to say about it. Let's pick it up in verse 14. So verse 13, that great declaration, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Verse 14, nevertheless, you have done well to share with me in my afflictions. You yourselves also know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel, after I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, but you alone. You're the only ones. For even in Thessalonica, you sent a gift more than once for my needs. Not that I seek the gift itself. Watch this. But I seek for the profit which increases to your account. But I have received everything in full and and have an abundance. I'm amply supplied. Having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent. It's a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice. It's well-pleasing to God and my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And then this kind of closing benediction. Now to our God and Father be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. And with that, he closes the letter. But he goes back to this topic of their contribution to the ministry. And Paul's thanking them for what they have done. Nevertheless, notice he says, you've done well to share with me in my afflictions. Sharing with him meaning they had sent moral support. They'd sent men there and stuff. But they had sent them each time, apparently, with a financial contribution to help support the furtherance of Paul's ministry. And he says, he says, even when nobody else wanted to do this, even when nobody else was involved, even when some came in, we saw earlier, some came in and then they, they fell away. They didn't want to be a part of the ministry anymore. He says, even, even those that have fallen away, you guys have remained faithful through this whole thing. You've continued to minister to me. You've continued to be a part of the ministry that God has called me to. And I applaud, basically what he's saying, I applaud you for what you have continued to do in your actions, in the work of this ministry. I think that's pretty significant. Now, notice what he says in verse 17. It's kind of important. He says, not that I desire your gifts. You understand what he's saying? He said, listen, don't get the wrong idea about this. You know, that, can I tell you this? I can so identify with what Paul is saying here as a pastor. I can so identify with this because I know exactly what he's, what he's thinking. Because anytime I stand up here as a pastor and begin to talk about money, or the need for money, or the resources of the church, or that kind of thing. I, I just, all these thoughts are running through my brain. I'm, I'm reading every one of y'all's minds at that moment. And, and I know half of you aren't thinking, but I'm, but I'm thinking, I'm thinking, oh man, here we are, they're, they're, they're money, they're gonna, we're gonna have some guests in here, and they're gonna hear me talking about money, and that's all you ever talk about is money. You, you can tell, it's what Paul said. He says, not, listen, don't get the wrong idea. I'm not asking you for anything. It's not, this is not about a gift. I'm not asking you to send me a gift. Because they had, they'd been sending him gifts without him even asking them for it. 
Uh, Not that I desire your gifts. Watch this. What I desire is that more be accredited, more be credited to your account. That's what I desire. Again, I'll just say it. I can so identify what Paul is saying because every time I have to uh, or, or do approach the subject of, of, of giving financially to, to, the, to the work of the church, the work of the ministry, which God has called us to do. Anytime, and I bring it up, if you, anybody's been through our Cross-Culture Connect class, uh, our, our new members class, that's one of the areas we talk about is, is financial giving, God's expectations in the Word of God, God's commandment that we be financially contributing to the work of the ministry. And, and, and every time I do it, again, I'm, I'm thinking that people think, oh yeah, of course, he's the preacher. He wants us to give money. He wants us to give time. He wants us to give our talents. Sure, I do. Does the church need resources? Absolutely. Did Paul need resources? Absolutely. But remember, Paul's, Paul's learned the secret. So he's okay. He's okay. If, 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 Paul, if I go to bed hungry tonight or if I go to bed with a full stomach, I'm okay. Now, would he rather have a full stomach? Would he rather go to bed with a full stomach? Would he rather be amply supplied? Of course he would. Would I rather the church have all the resources that it needs to, to operate and do as many things as we would like to do? Of course I would. But as God is my witness, what I desire above everything else for those of you that struggle in this area is that more would be, a credit, would be credited to your account. Oh, uh, by the way, that implies that there is an account and that there will be an accounting. That there will be this, this day, whenever that is, when, when there's an accounting for what we have done with what God has entrusted to us. And I think basically, Paul says... It comes, what he seems to refer to there is God promises two things. As he's closing out this letter, he's saying, thanks, thanks for what y'all are doing. Thanks for believing in the ministry. Thanks for contributing to the ministry. Thanks for making all this possible. He says, God promises two things. It's basically what he says. God promises rewards, heavenly rewards, and God promises earthly resources. He says, I, I desire that more be uh, accredited to your account, to whatever God has waiting for us. And I, I don't know, there's so many verses that speak on, on whatever God is waiting for us and the mysteries of rewards and all that kind of stuff. First Corinthians 3 is a great passage to read, but clearly scripture teaches that God desires to reward his children in, in whatever way that means in heaven. I'll leave that up to God. I'm okay with leaving that up to God, but there's no question that scripture teaches it. Heavenly rewards, but also earthly resources. Look what he says in verse 19. And my God shall supply all of your needs They were supplying Paul's needs. Watch this. Paul says, and my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. You know what Paul's saying? Don't sweat it. Don't worry about it. I know y'all are sacrificing and I'm appreciative of it and I'm not not making light of it. I know that time after time after time, even when everybody else said, oh, I, I can't do that or I won't do that or I can't afford to do that, you kept doing it, Philippians. You kept doing it. And I'm grateful that you did it. But listen, don't sweat it because my God is big enough to supply all of your needs. What is it? What, what, what do you need? You don't think my God's big enough to supply it? You're sacrificing for me. My God will make sure that you're amply supplied. I, I can tell you just, just as personal word of testimony, sin and I have found that to be very true in our lives of walking with Jesus. That when we're faithful to do what God asks us to do in any area, but in the area of financial giving, God is faithful to supply all that we need in Christ Jesus. And with that, Paul closes out the letter. And with that, we introduce what's gonna be the new series. We are cross-culture church. And just as Paul applauded the Philippians 
for their participation in the work of the ministry. I applaud all of you for your participation in the work of the ministry through Cross Culture Church. And since we're Cross Culture Church and because I love to alliterate, let me give you this and then we're going to close. Consecrate it, commit it, contributing. That's, that's it, folks. There's a whole lot I can say about that. But basically, this is what the, what the Philippian church was doing. And this is what the call on our lives is to do. To be consecrated, to be, to be set apart is what, what that word means. To be set apart, to recognize that, that in a relationship with Jesus Christ, I'm no better than anybody else, but I'm called out to something different. And God has plans and purposes in my life. And to be committed to that call, committed to the work, committed to what God calls us to be a part of and what he calls us to to do, and contributing to that work, that's what the church in Philippi continued to do. And you remember, I talked about this at the beginning, Paul's been in prison for several years at this point. And that's why some people have bailed out and, oh, Paul's ministry is never going to take off. Paul's ministry is never going to get anywhere. Let's go somewhere else. Let's use our dollars somewhere else. Let's, let's go to a bigger church. Let's go to a, I don't know, whatever. No, you, you guys, you just kept doing it. Paul says, you just kept doing it. Thanks for doing it. Thanks for contributing to the work of the ministry. Over the next several weeks, we're going to do cross-culture reconnect. We're going to walk through why we think cross-culture church is worth you investing your life in. And we've done these before. It's been a couple of years, quite honestly, since I've walked through our name, what's in a name, our passion statement, our purpose statement, our DNA statements. We're going to walk through all that stuff over the next several weeks. Please don't see this as an opportunity to miss if you've heard it before. Because all of us need to be reminded. All of us need to be encouraged. All of us need to be maybe reinvigorated. And those of you that are fairly new to cross-culture, for you, you, you've never heard any of this stuff before. But I'm asking, we're asking you to believe in this ministry the way the Philippians believed in Paul's ministry. So that they put their, their feet to where their, where their mouth was. They put their wallet to where their mouth was. They, they put their hands to where their wallet was. They, they, they engaged in the work of the ministry alongside of Paul. And that's what I'm asking you to do at Cross Culture Church. Because I am content, but I am not complacent. And we as a church may be content in what we can look around and see children's lives being changed and adults' lives being changed and community touches being made in several different ways through life groups and through, through our, our big ticket events. We can see ways that, that, we're, that, we're, that we're touching lives and, and, and hopefully making difference in some people's lives, but we cannot be complacent. We have to look for what God would do for us in the future. This next September... So it's almost a whole, still a year away. This next September will be the fifth anniversary of Cross Culture Church. Four years we've been working at this thing. Some of y'all are saying, tell me about it. I've been load, unloading that truck for four years. <laughs> Would you trade it for anything else? Would having a building tomorrow make that big a difference? Thanks for contributing to the work of the ministry. Let's, let's celebrate that. Let's enjoy that, but not, let's not sit on that. Let's say, let's, let's go. Let's, let's get this thing going. Let's see, what if at our fifth anniversary, what if this room was filled? What if C2 Kids was running double the number of kids they're running now, or triple? What if, what if baptisms suddenly became an almost weekly occurrence 
around here? What if stories began to surface about how someone had been delivered from this experience or this life or, or this whatever because you said, I believe in that ministry. Let's do it. Thanks, Pastor. So the secret to contentment isn't really a secret, is it? Throughout his letter to the church at Philippi, the Apostle Paul has been telling them that the heartbeat of his life was Christ. Now, here at the end of his letter, Paul urges us to make Christ the heartbeat of our lives. The Philippians were consecrated, setting themselves aside for the work of the kingdom. They were committed to that work, and it showed by their contributing to the work. And that's a model that all of us would do well to follow. We're glad you spent some time with us for this week's Crosswalk. Each week, Pastor Clay opens the Bible and brings out its exciting and practical truths to apply to our everyday lives. Cross Culture Church is a new church in North Raleigh. But instead of religion, we're about relationships. And instead of rituals, we practice realness. We meet Sunday mornings at 1030 at the Leesville Road High School, a mile and a half south of I-540, exit 7. And we welcome anyone and everyone who is looking for a place to learn about God's plan for their life. At Cross Culture Church, we experience the liberating, satisfying, life-changing power of the cross. And it's our desire to bring that power to a culture in need of freedom, hope, and joy. We hope you'll come join us on a Sunday morning. We'll save a seat for you. I'm not the water, I'm not the bread, but I know the place where your soul is fed. So hungry and thirsty, come and be blessed. I want to lead you to the cross. I want to lead you to the cross. I want to lead you to the cross. Cross Culture Church. Taking the cross to our culture and taking our culture to the cross. Visit us online at crossculturelife.org.